Okay, we've been, uh, we've been looking at teachings of Jesus. Um, we're going to be doing so between a couple weeks ago and, uh, and, and Easter. We're going to be focusing specifically on Jesus' parables as we find them in Matthew. And um, this morning, we have a couple of them, a couple of short ones. They are found in Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, and we're going to begin reading, I believe, at verse 31. Matthew 13, yes, 31. 31 to 35. It's on page 1518 in your pew Bibles, otherwise the words are going to be on the screens. Encourage you to follow along. It says, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air can come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of God is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, so as I mentioned last week, Matthew chapter 13 actually contains seven parables. All of them touch on the theme of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And all are designed to teach us um, something unexpected. They teach us about some unexpected aspect of the kingdom. Now, we talked about this last week too, and I'm probably gonna keep hammering on this for a few weeks yet, but the disciples themselves had some different expectations with regard to the kingdom that the Messiah was going to establish. And so, in order to correct their thinking, Jesus used these parables to teach them and to teach us about those things in the life of the kingdom that are a little bit different from the way that we might have expected them to be. In the parable of the sower, Jesus teaches that though the gospel is faithfully preached, that there will be some who reject it. In the parable of the weeds, which we looked at last week, Jesus teaches that that the kingdom, in its present form anyway, is imperfect, with good and evil growing up together. But that this this is not something that the Lord has overlooked. This is not something that caught the Lord off guard. In fact, this is the way that he ordained it. Because he uses this mixed kingdom to bring us, his people, to maturity in faith. And so by this, he, he actually um, facilitates the process of perfecting us in the very midst of our struggles and trials in a fallen world. And now this morning, we have two more parables about the kingdom, and that's followed by 
um, an Old Testament statement about the fact that the Messiah would come speaking in parables. We're not gonna touch on that too much. We're gonna focus on the parables. And these parables, the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the yeast, what they teach us is not to despise the small beginnings of the kingdom and never to underestimate the impact of the kingdom, even if it develops silently and below the surface. And so we're going to dig into that. Uh, another way of saying it would be that, that we as Christians need to be careful about, about how we evaluate and how we measure outward growth and, and the impact of God's kingdom. So consider the parable of the mustard seed first. As it says in the text, the mustard seed is the smallest of, of all the garden seeds planted in Palestine. But it grows to be one of the largest of the garden plants, sometimes getting to the size of, of 10 or 15 feet and spreading out its branches so that even birds can build their nests in that bush. And so from the tiniest seeds come the largest of the garden bushes. So in this parable, Jesus is making the point that the, the kingdom's outward manifestation, as the disciples perceived it and saw it, and also as we perceive and see the advancement of his kingdom today, is like that mustard seed. It may at times appear insignificant, but it grows, and it grows in amazing ways. And I want you to consider why this would have hit home in such a powerful way, because Jesus is speaking to followers who are relatively small and weak themselves. They were considered insignificant in uh, Roman-occupied Palestine in that day. And so that said... When it comes to the expectations they had of the kingdom of God when it was established, these people were longing for, for revolutionary change. And, and they expected, because God is who he is, all-powerful, one who keeps his promises, they expected that when this took place, when the Messiah came and the kingdom was established, this thing was going to happen immediately. This thing was going to happen in a powerful way. This was going to be a, a clean sweep, a fresh start. Everything all of the sudden would be wonderful and perfect and just the way it was supposed to be. They hoped that a great outpouring of the Spirit would bring thousands and thousands to Jesus Christ. Someday. But for now, Jesus' message in the parable of the mustard seed is to be patient, to keep on believing, to keep on working, and keep on praying. God's kingdom will grow. God's kingdom is growing, but don't judge a book by its cover. And don't judge the wrong book. Now, it's tempting to look at the outward ways in which the kingdom manifests itself today. To look for outward evidences and, and successes in the church and in the kingdom. 
when it comes to parachurch organizations, when it comes to mission organizations, when it comes to evangelists and, and missionaries. It's tempting to look at those things and to measure God's effectiveness solely by size and by numbers and by the size of a budget that a church or an organization has. That's where the parable of the mustard seed serves as a warning as well. Jesus teaches us, be very, very careful about estimating and evaluating the success of the kingdom based on those benchmarks and those criteria. He takes up this subject of true kingdom growth because he says oftentimes that growth can't be seen. Sometimes it seems as though it's insignificant. Sometimes it seems like it's ground to a halt. And again, pointing back to the original context, I want you to think about Jesus and his disciples as he is telling them this parable. I mean, understand, there's only a few disciples at this point. 12 in the inner circle, of course. 70 or 120 in the broader circle of Jesus' followers. Think about the fact that Jesus is being opposed by the Pharisees and the scribes and the teachers of the law, the, the religious leaders in Israel. And even though large crowds are following him at this time, even though large crowds are, are listening to him teach, many obviously are not actually hearing what he says. They do not accept his claims. They, they don't embrace him fully as a Messiah. And I would argue that the disciples at this point are probably wondering, Jesus, what is the holdup? As I said, they're waiting for this kingdom to come in a flash of glory. They're waiting for, for all the nations to stream to Jerusalem and, and come to bow a knee to Christ. They're waiting for Jesus to be proclaimed as the Messiah and the liberator of Israel. They have expectations, but at this point anyway, it looks like the kingdom was really quite insignificant. There were not that many people truly following after Jesus and believing in him. Jesus' message to the disciples and those who were is, do not judge the seed by its size. Do not look at my ministry and think that because outwardly it seems significant that it is not below the surface having a tremendous impact and doing precisely what it was designed to do. Don't think that what I'm doing now, even though it looks unimpressive in the eyes of the world, that there is not something world-changing going on here. The work of the kingdom is being accomplished. The advancement of the kingdom is unstoppable. So why did the disciples, why do we need to learn this lesson? Because our misunderstandings of Jesus, if they're not corrected, are going to lead to disappointment, discouragement, paralysis with regard to what we are to be about 
the task of proclaiming the gospel, the task of living the gospel, the task of loving each other and loving others in our community. We're not gonna be about that work if we are disillusioned, if we don't quite understand, if we get discouraged. The disciples were saying things to Jesus like, Lord, when your kingdom comes, Lord, when, when your kingdom comes, can we sit at your left and your right hand? And the implication was, you know, hey, Lord, you know, in three or four weeks, when, when this thing becomes a reality, when we can actually see it, you know, could, could you give us positions of, of high honor in this, in this, new, um, in this new kingdom, in, this, in this, new, um, this new rule? That would, that would be so great. You know, do you remember what Jesus said to them when they would ask him questions like that? He said, you know what? You don't realize what you're asking because you don't get it. He would tell them, you know, the son of man has to suffer even unto death in order to fix this thing that's broken here on earth. And you have no idea what form my kingdom is going to be ultimately displayed. Now we have that benefit when we remember the scene, that scene on the hill at Golgotha when Jesus was, was nailed to the cross, and when we remember that on either side of him, to the right or to the left, there was two other crucified thieves, we see another fuller picture of the kingdom as it comes into existence, a kingdom birthed in Jesus' blood. But you know, that stuff was not on the disciples' radar, and you know, too often that stuff isn't on our radar either. The disciples, even though Jesus told them numerous times, did not, did not anticipate the suffering and persecution and death that would be required to establish God's kingdom and to establish it forever. And as we work toward that kingdom, as we uh, long for that kingdom, as we try and be obedient to God's word, and as we are raised up wicked and righteous together in trying to navigate this world with all of its distractions and all of its temptations, and we undergo suffering and we undergo trials and, and temptations, and so often we fail in those moments. We get discouraged and we think, why is God doing this? Why isn't the kingdom better? Why isn't it coming more and more and more so that I can see it and be encouraged so that'll give me a strength to, to help me get over these humps and, and get through these difficult times? And we forget about the cross. We forget about Jesus' blood, which actually established this kingdom. And we forget that we have been called to follow after him. And part of following after him is the joy and the promise and the looking forward to the wonderful blessings that we receive through him, but also it is the grind of day-to-day -day living. It is enduring the trials and the temptations and the sufferings 
and it's doing so with the knowledge that this has crossed God's desk before it has come to us and that he is using even these things inwardly to bring the kingdom more and more into individual lives so that he brings it more and more into our corporate life as well. I found it interesting that in Luke 17, it records this this interesting little interaction between Jesus and the Pharisees. They're talking about the kingdom there too. And the Pharisees challenge Jesus and they say, hey, you know, when when is the kingdom coming? When's the kingdom coming? And Jesus kind of says this cryptic thing about how, you know what, many people are going to point and say, oh, here it is, here's the kingdom, or, or over here, oh no, there, there's the kingdom. And then he says, the kingdom of God is within you. He says, the kingdom of God is within you. And you know, I've been aware of that verse for a long time. As a matter of fact, I used to work with a couple of guys that, that latched onto that verse in probably not the best of ways. They latched onto that verse, and, and I felt used it as a way to kind of justify that God was using their feelings to lead them in the direction that he wanted them to go. Well, it says the kingdom of God is within you, so all I need to do is, is look inside and see how I really feel. And that's, the, that's that beautiful experience of self-discovery where I truly get to figure out what is my identity, and then that will liberate me and set me free. And I can be sure that whatever my desires, because they're so pure... What my desires tell me to do is obviously going to be right. That's what they thought. That's not how we understand the fact that the kingdom of God is within you. What God is telling us is not to be discouraged, not to be disappointed when all the systems that we are a part of in this world, all the the broken dynamics within the workplace or the family or our community life, we are not to get discouraged by those things because the way that the kingdom comes in this present time is in the hearts of individual people. God implants this mustard seed, tiny mustard seed of the Holy Spirit And we begin as believers who have just come to faith in Jesus Christ, we begin this wonderful transformation that touches every part of our body, every part of our soul, every part of our being. And then we band together with brothers and sisters in Christ because we are united in Christ. And that is that unseen, difficult to measure, but beautiful way that the kingdom comes. We don't get caught up in outward signs of growth and power and success because that's not part of God's plan. He says, don't be deceived by outward appearances. Be prepared for what must come. 
Now, Jesus telling his disciples that was immediately talking about his um, arrest and trial, crucifixion. He was telling them a little bit further along about their own trials and sufferings as they went and spread the news of the gospel and the persecution that they would receive. He says that a little bit further to us because we are going to experience the same kinds of things. So this is the nature of gospel life. This is the nature of gospel ministry. So as we live and serve here in Oostburg Christian Reformed Church, we too need to be careful not to evaluate our impact solely on external things. We cannot see what is unseen. We cannot see what is unseeable. We cannot measure in any kind of an accurate way, our kingdom service and our love for each other, our passion for the gospel. So brothers and sisters, don't be discouraged when it seems like your efforts to grow in grace and faith seem not to be bearing as much fruit as you'd like. Don't be discouraged when ministries or programs that you invest in at church fail to be as popular or well-received as you would like them to be. Don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged because the advancement of the kingdom and the work of the kingdom, the growth of that seed that has been implanted in you, that's God's business. And he's bringing it along at just the pace that he wants. Kingdom works differently. The kingdom works differently, maybe than we would like, but the kingdom works differently because it's all about inner transformation, which is precisely the message of the parable of the yeast, too, which I want to look at quickly. In the parable of the yeast, Jesus gives us a glimpse of the uh, often unseen, but, but nevertheless very powerful inward working of the kingdom. Because as I mentioned, kingdom growth and advancement in so many ways, in so many aspects, works beneath the surface. And by the way, just so that we're theologically accurate on all this stuff, isn't it interesting that in all of these parables of Jesus about the kingdom, parable of the sower, the parable of the mustard seed, the parable of the yeast, the thing that causes the kingdom to grow does not naturally reside in our hearts. It has to be implanted in them. In each of these parables, the gospel of the kingdom is implanted by God. It is a change agent that comes from outside of ourselves. It is planted in the soil of our hearts and it grows. The parable of the yeast Jesus teaches us that not only is the gospel implanted in the heart, but that the gospel of the kingdom works from the inside out. The parable also reminds us that the gospel permeates every experience in our lives. It's like yeast in that when it gets in the dough, it affects every aspect of the bread. In this way, it's kind of like the the inverse of total depravity. Total depravity means that the curse of sin touches every aspect of our being. But thankfully, when Jesus Christ enters a person's heart, every aspect of that person's being is redeemed and regenerated. It is 
a comprehensive solution, Jesus. The disciples were men who grew up hearing passages from the Old Testament, which talked about God's kingdom being established once and for all, with a a new David sitting as king over all the nations. Like I said, they had these expectations, and I bring that up again because it struck me kind of funny this week as I was thinking about it. But, you know, Jesus tells this parable of the yeast, and it totally, totally, in every way, turns their expectations upside down. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like, and you can just see the disciples waiting, like, what's it like? Fireworks, it's gotta be fireworks. It's it's gotta be something spectacular. It's gotta be something amazing. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like, well, It's like a woman making bread. (sighs) The disciples are like, "Uh, what? It's like a woman making bread. Doesn't the kingdom have to be a lot more glorious than that? Well, brothers and sisters, as we close up, it is a majestic kingdom. It's an amazing kingdom. It's an amazing kingdom. But it's simple enough. It's a simple enough concept that Jesus can use this humble, ordinary illustration in order to drive home an important truth to the disciples. The kingdom of heaven is like a woman making bread. She puts the yeast in the dough and it transforms the bread and causes it to rise. That is just how the kingdom of heaven works. He says the kingdom of heaven works from the inside out. It affects and transforms every aspect of our being. It works slowly, it works silently, it works beneath the surface. It works in a way that don't expect that you're going to notice leaps and bounds in it. Because the gospel doesn't boast. The kingdom doesn't draw attention to itself as it works. It works slowly and surely, and it is impressive and world-changing in a spiritual sense, even if it is insignificant in the eyes of the world. The gospel of the kingdom permeates every area of life. No part of you is left unchanged. Isn't that amazing? Even the part of yourself that you have in the darkest darkness, even the part of yourself that you are the most ashamed of, that you would never tell a soul in the world about, Jesus goes there, drags it out into the light, and redeems it and restores you. The gospel of the kingdom transforms your life from within, changes your attitude and your outlook and your worldview. It changes your purposes and your goals and your motivations. It may leave you right where you are with regard to your family and your vocation, but you are transformed from within. Everything looks different. The gospel, when it gets you, turns you inside out. It touches every area of your being. What we need to do is trust that God is indeed doing his work. 
We need to put our lives in perspective, not with regard to who we were yesterday, but with who we were last year, or five years ago, or 10 years ago. That's what puts it into perspective. That's where we can see the slow but sure growth of the kingdom within us. And it brings us joy because we also realize that it is God who is doing the heavy lifting in the advancement of his kingdom. So our task day to day is to be obedient to God's call on our lives. Our task is to do the work of gospel ministry wherever God has placed us. Our task is to live joyfully in the kingdom of heaven, even as we anticipate its consummation. Amen. Let's pray.